Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is January 24th, 2020. My goodness gracious, we are well into the new year, well into the new decade, and it seems as though the world is coming apart at the seams. Uh, The craziness in Washington persists, um, and we've really got to get serious about the direction that we're headed with all the threats and challenges that confront America and Americans today. I thank you for joining me. Those of you who are familiar with me know my story. I'm a retired senior special agent with what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, the INS. And ever since the attacks of 9-11, I've been determined to reach as many of our fellow Americans and our supposed political leaders as possible to wake them up and get them to understand the true nature of the immigration challenge that we face today. And to talk about immigration enforcement is not, as we're frequently told in the media, about being anti-immigrant. The reality is that those of us who want the immigration laws enforced effectively but fairly are simply pro-enforcement. The use of language and misuse of language has made it all but impossible to have a serious and honest conversation about immigration and a laundry list of other critical issues And so today, I want to talk a bit about the First Amendment, quite a bit about how the media, the polls, the politicians distort the truth and confound any efforts at an honest conversation. And it occurs from every direction, by every group, in one way or another. And it's got to stop. And it's amazing to me because I was watching last week, there was a demonstration in Virginia. Gosh, it looked like there were tens of thousands of people out. Uh, protesting infringement on the first on the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. <clears throat> we could have debates about that. I frankly have been carrying a firearm ever since I became an immigration agent. Uh, I hate to admit it, way back in 1975, it's a long time, and I still carry. And I enjoy target shooting, and I like the idea of being able to defend myself, my property, and my family. And I like the idea of Americans in general being able to do that. We're observing the anniversary of the Holocaust. I really believe that if uh, more people had been armed, Nazi Germany could not have done what it did. Uh, My mother-in-law from my first wife, may they both rest in peace, was in a concentration camp. And I remember one night over dinner, I said to her, how in the world, how in the world did this happen? Millions of people led off to death chambers to be executed for no offense other than the fact that they were Jews or otherwise deemed undesirable by the Nazi regime, by the Third Reich. And she said, you know, everyone said it couldn't get worse, and we had no guns, so how could we defend ourselves? And it was funny, because she herself was a staunch supporter of gun control. There's a big mythology that exists among people, that if you make something illegal, the problem will go away. If you make alcohol illegal, the problem will go away. If you make illegal guns illegal then the problem is solved. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. The laws of nature are immutable. No one knows how to violate the speed of light. We know about the sound barrier. These are all limits that are imposed by nature, by physics. There's no negotiation, and you don't need somebody with a radar gun and and a summons book to enforce that speed of light speed limit. Albert Einstein made it clear through his experiments and through his findings, that you could not exceed the speed of light. And, and it's a fact of nature. But once people have to enforce laws, and the question is, do we really enforce them? How do we enforce them? What resources are required? Because laws are violated every day of the week. Uh, somebody once said that if you followed someone around, even if it was a decent person, they probably commit five fe- three felonies every day. Now, I don't know if that number is accurate, and I'm not sure where it came from, But the point of the matter is that without enforcement, laws don't mean anything. 
the laws of nature don't need to be enforced. They're self-enforcing. So the idea that we're going to solve the problem of gun violence by making guns illegal is preposterous. It would make about as much sense as declaring gravity to be illegal and then saying, well, now we don't need rockets to go into space because gravity has just disappeared. doesn't happen. Without enforcement, there is no gun control, but the problem is how do you enforce it and how do you maintain this notion that I support that there is a Second Amendment? The idea of citizens being able to defend themselves both, both against thugs and against uh, tyrants is very critical. When you look at dictatorships, the first thing that the tyrants want to do is disarm the public because an armed populace poses a threat to the tyrants. So guns are important for a bunch of reasons. But unlike some of my friends, and I do mean friends, we've got to learn how to have debates in this country again. You know, had I not become a federal agent, my plan was to become a, a, a college professor and teach debate on the college level. We need to learn how to speak to one another. This garbage of Twitter and Facebook and all this other trash has taken us away from one of the most fundamental ways of communicating human beings were born with genetically it's by evolution look each other in the eye and have a conversation and it's okay to disagree you know how in the world do you have freedom if you don't have disagreement i might like vanilla ice cream you might like chocolate you might think it's a good idea to impose stricter gun control i might think it's a terrible idea and through discussion debate argument and considering other people's perspective we come down, hopefully, to rational, reasonable uh, compromises and decisions. That's the process. That's how a democratic process operates. But most fundamentally, that process rests on the ability to speak your thoughts clearly and completely without intimidation. <clears throat> That's not what's existing today. Peer pressure, bullying, Antifa, go down the list. You say something that people don't like, you're going to be shunned. Think about this. And, and I don't care where you are on, on the political issues. I don't care if you like Donald Trump, if you dislike Donald It doesn't matter. You're Americans. We're entitled to like and dislike anybody we damn well please. But you put on a red cap that says four words on it, make America great again, and you might get physically attacked. Make America great again. Boy, that's an incendiary phrase, isn't it? Let's make our country a good country. Let's make it a better country. Well, you certainly deserve to get an ass kicking, don't you? How insane has this gotten, folks? But with all of this lunacy going on, I want you to ask yourself a fundamental question. We see demonstrations about the Second Amendment. We see demonstrations about civil rights. And by the way, illegal aliens are not entitled to civil rights. You know, let me be clear. They're entitled to human rights. They're entitled to due process. Commit a felony, and I don't care if you're here legally, illegally, American, not an American. Anyone accused of a felony needs to have the same level of due process because you don't want unscrupulous prosecutors looking to score lots of successes, locking up illegal aliens for crimes they didn't commit. First of all, and most importantly, that's not justice. I don't care if someone's here illegally. Prosecute them for that violation of law. I'm happy with it. I did it for 30 years. But you don't want to hang a murder conviction on someone who's here illegally who didn't commit the murder. It's not justice. And the murderer would still be out on the street uh, posing a threat to more people. So uh, we've got to understand this because I've heard people say some pretty outlandish things. They're here illegally. The hell with them. Put them in jail. Convict them. No. Due process and, and, and human rights. Are a requirement for any human being inside our country. Civil rights means that you're a full participant in our society. Every American must be guaranteed 100% civil rights, not more, not less. When I hear white privilege, I cringe. Forget white privilege. Black lives matter. No, all lives matter, and all human beings need equal opportunities. If you listen to Martin Luther King, and what he said was brilliant, he didn't talk about we're going to get even because we were mistreated. He hated what happened to the black people. We all did. And lots of Jewish kids went down to protest, and some were killed during the civil rights battles of the 60s. But we should be trying to become equal without pointing accusatory fingers and saying, oh, you have it better than I do because of your race or your religion. 
That's how the Holocaust started. That's how we rip ourselves apart. The United States was built on the basis of E pluribus unum. And then we had slavery, right? Out of many ones. Slavery was an atrocity. <clears throat> Segregation was an atrocity. We need to treat each other with respect and equally and ignore color and race and religion. We've got to understand that you can't hold somebody responsible for those things that are beyond their control. You can't be angry at someone because, quote, they're the wrong race, the wrong religion, the wrong gender, the wrong anything. We didn't decide to be born. We certainly didn't decide whether we, we were going to be born men or women. Uh, we certainly didn't pick what family we would be born into or what religion our families would, would observe. Those factors should be ignored. Judge people by who they are as people. That is what I taught my children from the earliest days that we could sit down and have these discussions. That's what fairness is about. That's what equality, equality, think of that word, equality is about. So you, you have the civil rights movement, and I have to make this point also. They made it on, on a, a podcast because I do podcasts for Team DML, Dennis Michael Lynch, Team DML. Uh, I do twice-a-week podcasts with Dennis. It's a subscription service, and you might want to consider signing up. I hope you find it interesting. But if the civil rights politicians that, that thump this issue of civil rights were that concerned about what is happening to America's minority children, why then do they very often link illegal immigration to the civil rights movement? The way we achieve equality in our society is by education and opportunities for success in the workplace. Education is supposed to be provided equally to all Americans. Brown versus Board of Education was all about that. Separate but equal is not equal. That was the Supreme Court ruling back in the 50s. Separate but equal, not equal. Very important ruling. And at work, everybody wants to know that irrespective of the superficial issues, you know, race, religion, gender, Everybody gets an equal shot, equal pay, equal treatment, equal opportunities. In fact, they have the equal opportunity um, laws for that purpose. You undermine that whole concept when you are an advocate for flooding America with exploitable cheap labor that displaces American workers and drives down wages. So all of the gains made in the civil rights movement, all those hard-fought battles go out the window when you bring in foreign workers who displace Americans, frequently Americans of color, and drive down the wages for everybody in those jobs. But this is all part of the messaging, the lies, the propaganda. Understand that when countries are overrun by rebels, when there's a revolution, the first thing that the rebels seize after they seize the airport to make sure the troops don't come in from behind and take them out, they seize the means of communication, radio, television, Newspapers. In dictatorships, you have a propaganda machine that works nonstop. You look at communist China. Make no mistake, it's a dictatorship. They are controlling the Internet, access to information. <clears throat> it looks like Mr. Putin is trying to uh, reassemble the old Soviet Union. He wants to be leader for life. His government stepped down. And what did they do? Control the Internet. What does Iran do? Control the Internet. Control the words. George Orwell spoke so clearly about it that the idea to newspeak was not to add words so much as removing words. Why do you remove words? We think with words. When you can remove the words, you remove the thoughts that the words represent. So in the appendix to George Orwell, and again, I, I keep saying it, but if you have the opportunities, please get a copy of 1984 and read it. It is an eye-opener. And it's a quick read. It's not a big book. It's not a laborious task. You can knock it off on a weekend. And I, I will explain to you exactly what's going on with language. The Associated Press has a style book. And they boast that their style book can be found in classrooms, boardrooms, and courtrooms around the world. Around the world. Classrooms, courtrooms, and boardrooms. Uh, and newsrooms. All four. And when I went to college, I, you know, I majored in communication, so we had a style book, and it told you how to do punctuation consistently, how to do footnoting consistently. It was a small little pamphlet. Today, the Associated Press style book also tells you what language you're supposed to use, what words are appropriate. It's 
censorship. And it's censoring courtrooms, boardrooms, classrooms, and newsrooms. This should scare the hell out of everybody. Where are the protests? Where are the protests? It was arbitrarily decided by Jimmy Carter during his administration that the word alien would be taken out of the vernacular. Immigration agents were ordered. Do not use the word illegal alien. We will henceforth refer to them. uh, 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 What they wanted us to use was the term undocumented worker. And then they said undocumented immigrant. And I went nuts. You see, the term alien is not an insult. It's not a pejorative. It's a legal term. And if you go to Section 101 of the Immigration and Nationality Act, where they have all the definitions, the term alien, here's the definition, any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. Where's the insult? It's not the N-word. It simply means you are not a citizen of the country that you're standing in. If I go to Canada, guess what? In Canada, I'm an alien. In Mexico, I'm an alien. Although in Mexico, they won't use the term alien. They speak and write Spanish, so they use the term extranjero. Extranjero is the Spanish word for alien. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with the term alien is that it provides clarity to the debate. Under Orwell's principle of newspeak, you eliminate that word. And you eliminate the concept of somebody who is an alien in the country. And and we hear all kinds of crazy terms being used, sometimes out of ignorance and sometimes because the person is guileful, crafty. Well, they're future – in fact, I call them future citizens or or words to that effect when I was given that order Uh, or intending citizens, aspiring citizens. I mean, goodness, the term alien is not an insult. But here's the problem that we have. Uh, I I admonished my kids, you never use words that are insulting. You never use words that are derogatory. The N-word, off-limits, verboten, I don't want to hear that. Other words to deal with other groups of people. We're not going to use that language. Not in my house, you won't. But to censor people, and I'm not an advocate for those terrible words of hate. But the problem with censorship is who is the arbiter that decides What words are acceptable? Will there be a ministry of truth as we saw in 1984? And sometimes I almost think that maybe it's not a bad idea if idiots and bigots use the language that they really want to use because they out themselves. Then you could say, huh, that piece of garbage uses the N-word. Now I know who he is. And, you know, Alan Dershowitz said something very similar. And I have to tell you, I'm thrilled to death that Dershowitz is going to be one of the attorneys defending President Trump. And what's remarkable is Dershowitz is a lifelong Democrat, and he's been clear that he voted for Hillary and Obama. I had the privilege of hearing Alan Dershowitz speak at a memorial ceremony for the Holocaust many years ago. My mother-in-law provided myself and my son, her grandson, um, and uh, my, my son from my wife, with tickets to go to this memorial service at Temple Emmanuel, which is where, in fact, I married uh, my wife. After my first wife died, I married my current wife. We got married at Temple Emmanuel. It's almost like the Jewish equivalent of St. Patrick's Cathedral, and it's not that far from St. Pat's. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about New York City is everybody from everywhere lives within the city, which is why it's so upsetting, so outrageous, that we're seeing so many examples now of anti-Semitic attacks. Uh, It's especially painful in New York City. You would think that the city that has the greatest number of Jews would not be experienced this insanity, this illness, this blight on our species, this blind hatred. Really, it's got to stop. But it stops with parents doing their job as parents. and, and, And it starts with being fair and honest with each other and having open conversations. Uh, It's very disturbing. But Dershowitz spoke at length, and he's very articulate, and he's been on TV innumerable times. I can never get enough of Alan Dershowitz. He's very bright and very fair. I don't always agree with him. But, again, this comes back to, as an American, having the right to accept and reject what I want to accept and reject and saying those things that I believe. And Dershowitz made the point about safe zones or safe spaces on college campuses. He said the whole campus ought to be safe. Physically, for everybody, the lunacy is you need a safe space. But he said ideas 
and concepts should never be safe from challenge. And that's the whole point. But how do you challenge each other if we don't know how to talk to each other and we're intimidated into speaking our minds? Frank Sinatra did a wonderful song, The House I Live In. And it, it could almost be a second national anthem. What is America to me is how it starts out, that he goes through this whole litany. And he makes the point in that song that most of all, it's not the mountains, the streets, and, 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 and the rivers. America is its people. And he talks in that song about the right to speak your mind out. That's America to me. Do we even still have the right to speak our mind out? God forbid you say something that upsets somebody and there's repercussions. I believe it to be true that a school teacher in New York City was actually fired for referring to the students in his class as boys and girls. We've collectively lost our minds. I have no problem with gays and all people of all persuasions doing their thing as long as it involves adults who are consenting and not coerced and it's done in private. But the insanity of of doing this in my way of saying it, to my way of saying it, is it's an effort to intimidate people into not communicating, to balkanize America. How better to balkanize America than to flood America with people who don't speak a common language? You want to get a driver's license in New York? They'll give you the the written test. I, I think it's now 24 languages. How the hell do you turn people loose on the highways when they can't read a road sign? I'd love to know how many people have been injured or killed because at least one of the drivers couldn't read a road sign that warned about an accident ahead or, or some other such thing. If you got to fly an airplane, English is the international language of aviation. But in New York, you can get a driver's license, even if you're here as an illegal alien, and I spoke about it the last time, which creates a national security and public safety threat. We've lost our collective minds. The officials of New York State, New York City, are more concerned with the rights of accused criminals than they are with their victims. Now, look, I I certainly subscribe to this notion that you're innocent until proven guilty. But the idea of turning people loose after they've been arrested for assaulting people and say that assault is a nonviolent crime, could you get more Orwellian than that? At its best, law enforcement protects innocent people. You know, I, I took a class in criminology in college. I took a wide variety of classes. It was really the scenic tour. And one of the points my professor in criminology made is one of the reasons that we punish criminals besides deterring them and punishing them for the sake that they did something wrong, this is that people who are victimized by criminals feel that the system is dealing with the criminal. You know, that piece of trash raped my sister. He's going to jail. There's some kind of justice. But when we stop incarcerating and punishing people who violate the law and hurt people, there's a real risk you wind up with people people taking law into their own hands. You know, if the system isn't going to take care of this SOB that did whatever it was, I'm going to take care of them. And then we wind up with the wild, wild west. That's a direction I never want to see America go to. But we're almost it's almost as though the politicians are inciting this kind of thing. Why else would you want to turn criminals loose? Why else would you not want to deport aliens who've already raped and killed? ICE lodges detainers and the, that are involved with the insanity of the state say, no, nope, we're not going to cooperate. Yep, the guy raped five little girls and he killed one and he did jail time, but we're not going to tell you when he's getting out of jail because we want him back on the streets. Seriously, do you? Really? You know, we, we call correctional institutions by a name that's very optimistic. Not many get corrected. We have a big problem with recidivism. You know, the bank robber that robs more banks. We had burglars turned loose because of this insane policy. And the very next day, this guy who was in jail for a bunch of burglaries, guess what he did? He was arrested doing another burglary. Okay? Why on earth, if you have an opportunity to get rid of somebody who commits a crime, send them back to their home country. Why would any politician obstruct the deportation of criminal aliens? Why would they obstruct immigration enforcement when they say on their their website, we stand against human traffickers? Then what do they do? Obstruct the federal agency that has primary jurisdiction for going after human traffickers. See, the contradictions, the hypocrisy are off the charts. And the level of intimidation is off the chart. 
off the chart. The attacks on President Trump have been off the chart and irrational. Now, I don't agree with everything Donald Trump does. Now, I know some people that love President Trump to the point that if President Trump walked into their house and relieved himself on their dinner table, they call that thing a centerpiece. You get my drift? I don't agree with that. I see him making mistakes. I don't like his use of language. Uh, I think he could be stronger on the environment. But I agree with him about global warming, getting us out of that treaty, because that wasn't about global warming. That was a funding mechanism to take billions and billions of dollars out of our economy. Read up on it, and you will see that the media keeps lying and lying and lying. And I, furthermore, I'm not convinced that human activity is responsible for climate change. But I do believe we have fouled our nest. I think it's causing cancer and other diseases. So if you ask me if I had a magic wand, if I'd want to get rid of burning fossil fuels, my answer would be, let's do it yesterday. But the idea of carbon tax, um, crazy. And if you stop and think about, again, the hypocrisy, the politicians who are screaming the loudest about climate change and the need to stop flying airplanes and don't do this and don't do that. Let's get rid of steel and glass buildings and crazy stuff, right? We're going to get rid of all airplanes, more craziness. These are the same politicians who want to put millions of illegal aliens on the road in cars that spew pollutants. And the more cars that are on the road, the more the congestion grows. And when you have congestion, you have more cars with their motors running going nowhere, adding to pollution, adding to greenhouse gases. So, how could politicians who scream about needing to end airplanes, and they fly around the world, of course, in, in jet planes, how could those very same politicians advocate giving illegal aliens driver's licenses so we can put more cars on the road? Does anyone even ask these questions? You know, we've got to start asking some serious questions, and we've got to start analyzing the words that the politicians are using to try to swindle us, swindle us out of money. And all too frequently, swindle us out of our lives, swindle our children out of their futures in our own country. This is all part of what happens because of deceptive language, and nobody ever stops and says, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why would you do these things? You know, as an agent, you're always concerned about whether or not someone's telling the truth. Everyone wants to know that. They want to know if their girlfriend or their boyfriend or their husband or their wife or whomever is cheating on them. They want to know when they go in to buy a car, is that salesman really giving them the lowest price that they could possibly get from it? There's so many questions we'd love to have the honest answer to. There was a, a Twilight Zone episode about that where some guy was getting the truth from people and it was shaking everybody up. And over the years, the human species has devised all kinds of crazy means to try to get the truth. You know, there's truth serum, there's lie detectors, there's waterboarding. What's the reason for all that? to get to the truth i'll tell you as an agent one of the things that to me has always been a big factor in determining whether or not somebody is a liar besides whether they're twitching or doing these other things um, are they consistent do they change words when they realize they're not succeeding with, with the language they're using see people who tell the truth tend to use the same words consistently liars tend to keep changing the words you know Illegal alien becomes undocumented. They want undocumented. And when I raise the issue that undocumented is dangerous because it means these people have no scorecard in an era of terrorism, the idea that there are people among us with no scorecard should be very concerning. I did that years ago on a debate on MSNBC. Believe it or not, back then, I was probably more frequently on MSNBC than any other station. Sometimes I would do three or four uh, appearances in one day. And I remember saying that on the air during a debate with a young lady, and within 48 hours, both the ACLU and the Bush administration, George W. Bush, sometimes I thought they were one and the same, believe it or not, said that they're going to call them unauthorized immigrants. So we went from undocumented to unauthorized. We played the game of Simon Says and Simon Says and Simon Didn't Say, right, unauthorized. If you look at anything I've ever written, folks, I always use the term illegal alien. Again, an alien being any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. If they're here illegally, they become an illegal alien. And then, of course, the other side says, well, you can't say that. Nobody is illegal. CBS Radio, meanwhile, the day after Labor Day, when everyone goes back to work and the beaches are closed, this was a couple of years ago, 
they they had a story about a bunch of kids that went to the beach after the beach was closed because there were no lifeguards there. Big fences had been put up and signs were posted that said, come back Memorial Day weekend. Beaches are closed. And they went swimming anyway. They hopped over that fence and they went swimming. CBS News called them illegal swimmers. So I had a debate when I went to Indianapolis to, to discuss the immigration issue. And I said, you know, if you can be an illegal swimmer, you could certainly be an illegal alien. Everybody kind of laughed, but the lawyers there weren't happy with me. I wonder why. That's how important words are. You know, the old argument is the pen mightier than the sword. When I look at the demonstrators on behalf of the Second Amendment, maybe the question should be, is the gun or is the pen mightier than the gun? Because it's with words that we determine gun control. What is and is not possible. With words, we twist people's understanding of the issue. I'm used to being told that I'm anti-immigrant when nothing could be further from the truth. I'm pro-enforcement. That doesn't mean that I don't want lawful immigrants. I want to make sure that people who come to America don't pose a threat, that they don't have dangerous communicable diseases, that they're not going to take a job of an American, and that they're not criminals. What's unreasonable about that? And to the point about not having dangerous communicable diseases, you know, this new virus coming out of China, the coronavirus, within two days, we went from one or two, we now have, I think, 60 or 70 suspected cases in the United States, and it's going to grow rapidly, I fear. And so in New Jersey, uh, Booker and the others are saying, we want to make sure that the Customs and Border Protection people screen people coming into Newark Airport to make sure they don't have the coronavirus. And they're right. They do need to screen them. But, but here's the irony that the news won't tell you, and I want you to stop and think about it. Booker and these others are pro-amnesty, open borders advocates. They want anybody coming to America to be screened. Why? To make sure that nobody catches this contagious and dangerous disease, the coronavirus. Did anybody stop and ask, how the hell do you screen people when they run the border, when they stow away on ships? You see? So if you really want to be careful that we don't wind up with people in the United States suffering from a dangerous communicable disease, then you ought to be concerned about an open border where people can come in who have the disease and then disappear among us. Lots of people from China run the Mexican border and the Canadian border, folks. So you see, here's a public health story that's really an immigration story. Because the same politicians who run around saying, screen those people coming into the airport, are happy to let people come into the United States without any screening at all. Is there a little bit of hypocrisy here, do you think? So I go back to the point about how can you tell when someone's a liar? When they suffer chronic hypocrisy, they're a liar. Look at Chuck Schumer. Oh, maybe not. Don't look at him. He's tough to look at. But Schumer, five years ago, roughly, proposed a federal law that would make trespassing on critical infrastructure or landmarks a five-year felony. His official Senate website even talked about a 16-year-old boy who was caught climbing the World Trade Center under construction. And he said, I don't care if you're a thrill seeker, an adrenaline junkie, or a criminal. If you trespass, you're doing something dangerous. You need to go to jail for five years. So I, I presume that Chuck would be happy putting that 16-year-old boy in jail for five years. He is tough. Schumer's one tough character, isn't he? But the same Chuck Schumer, <coughs> pardon me, has advocated repeatedly for giving illegal aliens, that is to say aliens who trespassed on America, a pathway to United States citizenship. Do you see a little hypocrisy there? Right now, the Democrats are jumping up and down, impeach the president, get rid of the president. He did it. What exactly did he do? He made a phone call. And then what happened? He withheld aid. No, he didn't. He delayed it, perhaps slightly. But the government of the Ukraine was never given an ultimatum. That seems to be quite clear. The investigations that were conducted about Russian collusion made it clear that there was no collusion. <clears throat> and then you listen to Schiff, if you have the stomach for it. And what was remarkable was last year, if you remember, Schiff sat at that hearing, 
and did a parody, supposedly, about the transcript of Trump's call. They were disappointed that he released the transcript overnight. So that took away one of their, you know, battering rams. <laughs> Had he not done it, they would have been screaming about the transcript. So he surprised them and said, here's the transcript. Then we had to listen to he said, she said. Well, that doesn't exist in a court of law. Hearsay is, is, is not permissible, generally speaking. And then you look at the report that said there was no collusion. There's no this and there's no that. There's no there there. Okay. So Schiff comes out and he read what looked like it was a transcript, but he didn't start out by saying, this is what the president might as well have said. He just said, listen to this. And he, and he had this fantasy conversation transcript where the president said to the president of the Ukraine, when Trump said to the president of the Ukraine, now I'm only going to say this, you know, seven times. And it was a fabrication. And I wasn't sure what I was listening to, so I was watching this. <clears throat> and then if it wasn't for, I think it was Devin Nunes, who attacked him on it and said, wait a minute, where are you getting that from? And then he said, well, it's a parody. Folks, I've testified at many congressional hearings. I've sat in on others occasionally when a chairman would ask me to sit on and evaluate testimony by the witnesses. <coughs> I've never seen a parody at any hearing before, ever, never, ever. And this was a hearing that was focused on potentially removing the president of the United States from office. This will only be the fourth time in history that we've gone down this road. Think about that. This is the time and place to turn the house into a comedy club. Really? But you see, I, I really believe that what Schiff had hoped for was that people would watch it. The media would report on it and not realize that it was a parody. And now there's a, a magazine that came out furious about this. And, and, and so I think it was the Atlantic saying that the president's lawyers are doing something terrible by blaming Schiff when it was clear to everyone was a parody. Then you look at, uh, I mean, it's really amazing with Joe Biden, his son Hunter. And someone had suggested they were trying to float the idea of a swap Okay, Trump will have to bring in witnesses, but then you're going to have to testify, Joe. Oh, I'm not testifying. I'm not getting in the middle of that. Think about this. If Joe Biden had clean hands, I mean, maybe he does. Maybe I'm wrong. But to my thinking and with my experience as an agent, I did my job for 30 years. This could be the most unique opportunity possibly in American politics. Joe Biden potentially running against President Donald Trump. And they both have to testify. This is almost like a debate. And people have to wonder. I mean, I wonder, is Joe Biden on the level? What was that business with his son Hunter and the Ukraine and the energy business and all this other stuff going on? It certainly doesn't look good. Uh, when I was an agent, I had a boss who used to say that as a federal agent, it's not enough that you don't engage in wrongdoing. You must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. Well, to me, this gives the illusion of doing wrong. His son with zero experience in energy, getting, uh, what was it, $50,000 a month, some ridiculous figure, and he was involved possibly with other deals. If that doesn't smell of influence peddling, then maybe I'm getting it wrong. And maybe there is a rational explanation. But without knowing what's behind this, I could never in a million years vote for Joe Biden if he was is the guy that ultimately runs against Trump. So what a great opportunity if Biden knows that he did nothing wrong to say, hey, you know what? Call me as a witness so I can set the record straight and, and, and clear this up so nobody has any doubts about me or my son. Wouldn't you think this would be a golden opportunity? If Joe Biden did nothing wrong, shouldn't he be jumping up and down demanding that he be allowed to testify at the impeachment trial to set the record straight that he did nothing wrong and it was all on Trump? You would think. But guess what happened? Joe Biden looked like he was freaking out. He, to me, he looked like a quiet riot. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to testify about that. I don't want to get in the middle of that. Just kind of interesting. Watch the words. Watch the body language. Watch the misuse of language that we hear all the time. What exactly did the president do? And then you have one member of Congress saying, well, it's not enough that they found him not guilty. He still may have done wrong things anyway. 
in the United States that our form of government, our form of justice, you're innocent until proven guilty. You actually have Democrats demanding that the president prove that he, not did, that he didn't do something terrible. Our system doesn't work that way. The burden of proof is on the prosecution. In this case, the burden of proof rests squarely in the lap of the Democrats. President Trump has the right under our system of justice, the absolute right to fold his arms and say, go to hell, I'm not going to answer any of your questions. The Fifth Amendment says he has that right. You think you got a case? Go for it. I'm not, I'm not going to respond to it. I think it would be a foolish tactic. But my point is you can do that because the presumption, the presumption, think about what these words mean, is that you are innocent until you're proven guilty. So they're trying, they, the Democrats, are trying to resurrect the whole thing with, with the uh, Russian uh, collusion nonsense. Even after the Mueller report was quite clear, there was no collusion. Was it smart to make the phone call to the Ukraine? I don't know. Probably not. But does that rise to the notion that we're going to get rid of the president? He made a phone call. Why did no one challenge Obama on Fast and Furious where thousands of guns went across the border? One of those guns, at least, was used to kill U.S. Border Patrol agent Brian Terry, a great American, an American hero who also served in the military. Gunned down by a gun that was released to the Mexican cartels by ATF in pursuit of an investigation known as Fast and Furious. Normally, when, when contraband is involved, what we did was called controlled deliveries. Now, I'll tell you what a controlled delivery is. You have a drug dealer who wants to buy drugs. We have the drugs. We sell him the drugs. He gives us the money, and then everybody jumps on him and arrests them. Why? So the drugs don't get to the street. The same thing with a gun. Here they said, oh, well, let the guns go, and we'll trace them. Trace them where? At the murder scene afterwards? Do you understand how twisted this is? Did anybody jump up and say, my God, a Border Patrol agent is dead. God knows how many people have been killed in Mexico and perhaps even in the United States by guns that were released pursuant to an investigation conducted during the administration of Obama. Tens of billions of dollars were delivered in cash to the Iranian government. The United States government signed a deal with Iran that virtually guaranteed that down the road Iran gets nuclear weapons. This is a little bit more serious than a phone call. Did anybody on the Republican side jump up and say it's time to impeach Mr. Obama? Look at what happened at Benghazi. Ambassador dead, three other people dead. Nobody helped them. Nobody said impeachment. Hillary Clinton, from what I've read, sold uranium rights to Russia. You want to talk about Russian collusion? How many Republicans jumped up and said, let's impeach Hillary, let's impeach Obama? The president makes a phone call. And then you've got this female senator from Hawaii who was on camera in Fox saying these conspiracy people, they're crazy. They've said that we've wanted to impeach President Trump right along. That's not true. Folks, there were three prior votes. In the House, to begin to begin impeachment proceedings against President Trump, it's not true. I guess when all else fails, lie. So we have the artful misuse of language, which is really what propaganda is, isn't it? It's what it is. Call it what it is. You have all of this hypocrisy and this double nonsense. We have to clean up the environment, but let's give millions of illegal aliens driver's licenses. People should go to jail for trespassing, but if they're illegal aliens trespassing on America, well, now they've earned citizenship. I want to know what the word earn means. And it goes on and on and on. And we're told, don't use the word alien. And you turn on the news and you always hear the, the, the reporter, last week, ICE agents arrested five suspected illegal immigrants. Why are they illegal immigrants? Why aren't they illegal aliens? And where are the protests about the censorship that's being imposed on us against our wishes? I understand the protests about the First Second Amendment. Now, I, again, I, I don't always agree with, with folks on this issue. I don't think that civilians ought to have armor-piercing rounds and we can go down the list. And, of course, the argument that I hear is during the revolution – 
the guns that were used by the military were also used by the civilians, and that's true. But that was a couple of hundred years ago. Nobody had Apache gunships and Gatling guns and machine guns and, and rocket launchers or nuclear weapons or attack submarines. So the idea that citizens should have as much firepower as the military is an absurdity. And I do believe in gun checks. I took guns out of the hands of some very terrible people as an agent. I made a lot of gun collars. And that's a good thing. Get the guns out of the hands of people who want to kill you, want to kill us. But I do believe in the right of Americans to bear arms. So it's not an all or nothing. You know, there's shades of gray. It's not binary, yes or no. But what's amazing is how passionate people can be about guns And you hear crickets when this issue comes up about censorship. And and, and therein lies the problem. If you really love America, if you really cherish your freedoms, if you cherish the future that our children will have and their children will have, folks, the action is in the First Amendment. That's where it's at. Because if you can no longer speak clearly and freely what freedom do you have if you're not allowed to disagree with government what freedom do you have if you're being told what words you can and can't use what freedom do you really have not everybody wants to bear a firearm i know many people that if you gave them a gun wouldn't want anything to do with it But how many Americans want to be censored? How many Americans are willing to be strangled intellectually so they can't use words that they think should be used? This is dangerous. It's Orwellian. It endangers the very notion of democracy. It endangers the survival of this incredible republic that we've built over the generations. If we're going to demonstrate as Americans, there's there's many things you could demonstrate about. But I'd love for you to think about this. Why have there been no demonstrations about free speech? Why not? Why are we allowing censorship to descend upon us almost like a cone of silence where how dare you say something? Because somebody is going to decide whether or not the words you're using constitutes hate speech. And I'll tell you, Dershowitz was very clear about this also. And he was appalled at it. My attitude is, let the idiots use terrible language so you know who the idiots are. Then there's no doubt who the bigots, racists, and, 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 and you know jackasses are. I don't like words. There's certain words that really infuriate me, and the N-word is high on that list. But maybe once in a while, some fool comes out and uses that word, and then immediately they out themselves. You know who they are. You know who you want to deal with and don't want to deal with. The government should be very careful, and we as a country should be very careful about limiting the words that we're allowed to use. The notion of free speech used to be that you're free to say anything you want, with the exception of crying fire in a crowded theater, because that could cause a panic. But the kind of censorship now that we can't use the word alien ostensibly because we're being polite, and that's the other problem. If you ask people what this notion of political correctness is about, They're going to tell you we don't want to offend anybody. Now, most of us, if we had a good upbringing, and I had an exquisite upbringing, I hope I'm one-tenth the parent to my children that my parents were to me. I'll always be their son. Uh, And and even though uh, it's more than 50 years since I last hugged my parents, uh, I stand on their shoulders every day. But my goodness, if you have a decent upbringing, you're taught to be polite, considerate, and compassionate. And the way that the term political correctness has come to be seen it's just a way of being polite and considerate we don't want to use insulting language we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings if that's the case that's fine but that's not really what this is this is orwellian newspeak it's psychological warfare against america eliminate the words you eliminate the thoughts that the words represent and it puts americans at each other's throat uh, you know, you can, I was on this trip, and, and, and you know everything is going great, and people will even agree with you on immigration. But all you have to do, if you want to incite a riot, is say Donald Trump. 
And holy smoke, the reaction is visceral and it's irrational. Because this has been something that's been brewing for the last several years. The word Trump has come to be associated with some pretty evil stuff. Now, again, I tell you, in all honesty, I don't always agree with Donald Trump. But I think that essentially the main issues that he has addressed and wants to address, he's right about. Illegal immigration is dangerous. I disagree with Trump. In fact, Laura Ingram had it out with him two weeks ago because the president said that he was creating so many jobs that we had to bring in talented people from other countries and that when we educate foreign students in our schools, we had to let them stay here. He almost sounded like he was morphing into Mitt Romney. And Laura Ingram got very upset, and so did I. And I was screaming at the TV. And Laura must have heard me, because as I'm screaming, she's coming up with pretty much the same things that I would have been saying to the president if I was sitting in front of him. She said, you know, Mr. President, this violates one of your major campaign promises that you would never have American workers displaced by foreign workers. Well, we just have too many jobs. And she said, no. These people work for less money, and very often the Americans are being forced to train their replacements. And then Trump was steadfast. He wouldn't give an inch. Got kind of frustrated and upset. It looked to me that Laura was getting frustrated and upset. <clears throat> but the idea about going after the gangs and limiting China in the United States in terms of the courses they could take and, and cracking down on China's manipulation of currency and doing those other things that have been damaging to us, he's right. But the American people, through this conditioning process and censorship, calling him a hater, you know, think of the words, the president's travel ban and why he uses the term travel ban is beyond me. Um, I was arriving in Montana for a speaking engagement with Paul, General Paul Vallely. Uh, general Vallely, I'm proud to say, is a friend. Uh, he was a two-star general, served in the Middle East, bright guy, was one of Fox News' key people to analyze military events. And as I landed in Montana, I got a call from one American news network. By the way, it's interesting because Graham Ledger has his program, The Daily Ledger, at One American News, and I've been on with him many times. And he always starts the program, if you're familiar with the show, the PC police, the doors are locked and the PC police are not getting into the studio, or words to that effect. The last time I was on, I said, Graham, let's, let's face it, this isn't the PC police, it's the thought police. So anyway, his producer at One American News called me up as I'm getting off the airplane. So the first thing they did was ask me if I wanted to go on the show that night. And they said, I can't. I just landed in Montana. And then the producer said, well, you know, Mike, we're doing a story about the president's executive order. And this was shortly after he took office. And this is about his so-called travel ban. But we don't think the word travel ban is accurate. What would you call it? I said, well, why don't you call that executive order by the name he gave it, protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States? And the producer said, well, that's just too many words. I said, okay. He said, if you had to boil it down to just a couple of words, what would you call it? So I thought about it. And at the same time, I'm trying to get off the airplane and I'm schlepping my suitcase and I've got my hands free things screwed into the side of my head. And it took about 30 seconds. I said, why don't you call it an entry restriction? And they went with it, entry restriction. Think about the imagery of those two terms, travel ban versus entry restriction. Travel ban sounds draconian, dragging people out of cars and trains and buses and not letting them go anywhere. I mean, travel ban. No. He told the inspectors, if you can't scrutinize these people, don't let them in. So there are countries where we can't get valid information. They're dangerous. Don't let them in. And, in fact, you didn't need an executive order, this standing immigration law, Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182F, that says the president may issue a proclamation if he determines that the presence of any aliens or class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. That's the gist of that law. Think of that bar. Their presence would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. What does that even mean? It is such a low bar. It doesn't say cause imminent demise, Ebola virus, nuclear weapon. No, 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 no. The president may, by proclamation, if he determines that the presence of any alien or class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants would be detrimental to the United States. And he may prevent their entry for as long a period of time as he deems necessary. Could say she, because one day there will be a female president, thank God, not Hillary. But the point of the matter is, 
president has the authority, that it's not a travel ban, it's a natural restriction, that it's not about Muslim-majority countries. So I think it was last week the president expanded the number of countries on that list. And what did the headline say? President expands travel ban to more Muslim-majority countries. If he was out to get Muslims out of the United States, Indonesia, the most populous Muslim-majority country, should have been on the list, but it's not. But look at the words and the impact they have. Travel ban Muslim-majority countries. No, it's an entry restriction for citizens of countries whose people can't be properly vetted, whose countries have a nexus to terrorism. Isn't that different from saying Muslim-majority and travel ban? See, words really have an impact. I wrote a piece about this a while ago. There was an experiment done where people watched the videotape of a car crash, but they didn't all see it at the same time. They were in different rooms. And it was about the way that they described it that really determined how people remembered what they saw because a week or two after they saw the videotape, they were called back and asked to fill out a questionnaire about the accident. So when it was referred to as a crash, those people were most likely to say that they saw broken glass and they gave a much higher dollar amount estimate as to how serious the accident was. If it was referred to as cars bumping, cars colliding, was one thing. when they said crash, they all thought that they remembered broken glass. By the way, there was no broken glass. There was no broken glass. Words have an emotional, visceral impact that's why words are so critical and, and so I'm, I'm forced to come back to the question that i began my program with when was the last time you saw a protest or a demonstration in support of the first amendment everybody in this country i don't care where you live and i don't even care what political orientation you have every freedom loving america should be petrified and furious at the censorship that we are being subjected to, and it keeps getting ratcheted up more and more and more. There's no reason not to use the term alien. And I've been in places where people say, you're not going to use that word. <laughs> I laugh. I smile. I say, yeah, what do you plan to do about it? It's that serious, folks. It's that serious. We're on the slippery slope to totalitarianism. You look at Antifa, you look at the way that things are being conducted, the lies that are being told. It's very dangerous. And there's much at stake. So first and foremost, every American should be supremely concerned at any effort to censorship. Because this isn't about being polite. It's about thought control control the words, you can control the thoughts of the citizens. That is going the wrong way on a one-way street, and I fear that we're picking up speed going in that wrong direction. By the way, I, um, if you go to my um, posting in conjunction with this program, you have a link to the presentation that I did at Rock the Red. I wasn't able to do my show last week, so uh, I was in uh, South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. I spoke for about 25 minutes. They had a bunch of wonderful speakers there, uh, including Tom Holman. I got to meet with him briefly, the former acting head of ICE. I met with a number of members of Congress, the lieutenant governor, and so forth. And I got to speak for 25 minutes at Rock the Red. There's a YouTube video. I've provided the link at the description for my program today for the Michael Cutler Hour. Please check out the video. If you like it, send that link around. Uh, make sure lots of people get to hear what I had to say, because I tried my best to lay out the true nature of the immigration crisis um, that really is having such a profound impact on all of us right now. You know, I always like to end my program by reminding you that democracy is not a spectator sport. Certainly the exercise of freedom of speech is an important element of this notion of democracy. Please get involved. Have conversations with your neighbors Make them rational conversations, but base them on fact, and um, do every bit that we can to protect and preserve this incredible nation. I thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and I look forward to uh, 
seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a good weekend.